Welcome to Occult of Personality, Esoteric Podcast Extraordinaire. I'm your host, Greg Kaminsky. This is episode number 204, featuring an interview with scholar and initiate Stuart Clayland, who is joining us to speak about the recently published The Green Book of the Elu Cohen, a treasury of Cohen texts in two volumes. The Cult of Personality podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, and by the subscribers to chamberofreflection.com, our membership site, who aids us and the cause of informed, authentic, and accessible interviews about Western esotericism. Thank you. Because of your support, we're able to bring you recordings of this caliber and many more to come. Now, in episode number 204, Stuart Clayland joins us to talk about the Elu Cohen, his work translating their texts, and more. You can find Stuart online at sjaclayland.com. That's S-J-A-C-L-E-L-L-A-N-D.com. As a teacher of philosophy and religious studies in and around the northeast of Scotland, Stuart holds a master's degree in Western esotericism and a PGDE in religious, moral, and philosophical studies, as well as a BA in fine arts and philosophy. His research background is centered on esoteric spirituality and the practice of heterodox religious traditions with a particular interest in marginalized and persecuted religious communities, both historical and contemporary. Stewart's work engages with religious studies specifically in the so-called Western esoteric tradition or hermetic tradition in religious and philosophical thought. Now, the Green Book of the Elu Cohen, a treasury of Cohen texts in two volumes, This book is an English translation of an obscure and previously unpublished French 18th century Masonic manuscript known as the Green Book of the Elu Cohen, detailing the inner workings and highest degree of an occult esoteric order known as the Elu Cohen. This fascinating manuscript has been lost for more than 250 years and has only recently come to light. The information contained here is a must for anyone with a serious passion for Masonic history. It was translated by Stuart Clayland, edited by Joseph Wages, and designed by Steve Adams. Now, one of the most uh, interesting and perhaps delightful um, summations of this uh, set of texts is this paragraph, uh, and I quote, detailing the inner workings and highest degrees of the order, this fascinating manuscript enlightens the reader in the true, very visceral nature of the order, requiring the utmost commitment and a decidedly monastic lifestyle. The order prescribed everything from hairstyle to diet. Far from the everyday festivities of mainstream Freemasonry, 
the Elu Koans were spiritual warriors engaged in magical combat with angelic and demonic entities. These original rites of the Elu Koans instruct the initiate how to enter into relations with angelic spirits which are sympathetic to man's fallen state and who aid him upon the path to reintegration with the divine. It was really delightful to speak with Stuart about these texts and his work more generally. In particular, I found it quite notable the manner in which the Elu Cohen were attempting to bring about a literal end of the world through their spiritual practice. While I certainly don't share their view, it is remarkably interesting to learn about what could accurately be described as a radical doomsday cult. These primary source texts are crucial to the scholarship and historical understanding. More importantly, as Stuart pointed out, this information is no longer hidden from those who want to read it and are involved with Martinist lineages. And when seen in that light, the value of these texts beyond esoteric book collectors becomes clear. The quality of the translation, editing, and overall design is most impressive, and I commend the work of this team in producing an impressive set of books. The intro music is Awakening by Paul Avgerinos, and the outro music is Where the Green Meets the Blue by Mountain Mirrors. Stuart Cleland, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to speak with you today, and I appreciate you taking the time to join me and the listeners and to talk about your work. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Yeah, it's my pleasure too. Um, the primary reason uh, we're having you on the, the podcast is to talk about this newly published uh, wonderful book that you have uh, played a, a major role in, obviously, this uh, treasury of the Cohen's text, um, including the Green Book of the Elu Cohen. Um, but before we get into talking about the book and all of the uh, associated texts that are included with it, um, maybe you could just introduce yourself to to the listeners and who may not know who you are already, and um, tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you do. Thank you. Well, my name's Stuart Cleland. I'm a Scottish Masonic researcher. Um, I've got a deep interest in esotericism and occultism. And really, uh, my interest in Freemasonry comes from my interest in the wider field of Western esotericism. Uh, I try and approach uh, Masonic studies is uh, the way I would approach any kind of uh, study interested in spiritual traditions. I try and treat it as a religious or spiritual tradition rather than a social a, a social a phenomenon. My day job is a teacher of philosophy and religious studies and I try to bring that as much as possible into my Masonic researches and they always try and approach it as a genuine spiritual tradition, something that is a, a revealed a revelation and something that should be treated as such rather than something like a, a social club. Uh, and that really uh, informs most of my, my research. Uh, I was lucky enough to study a, a master's degree at Exeter University in Western Esotericism. And uh, I'm sure it'll be something we'll be speaking about later on with methodology and scholarly methodology, but I always try to bring that 
scholarly background when looking at Freemasonry or occultism or esotericism, trying to get that middle path somewhere between initiate and academic, uh, trying to get a sympathetic kind of neutrality when speaking about these types of subjects. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Yeah, I can certainly appreciate your perspective having traveled that path for some time myself. But let's let's delve into this wonderful new book that you have putting out here. I don't know what the, the formal title is. It's listed as a treasury of Cointext. Yeah, yeah. A treasury of Cointext in two volumes. It started off just as a translation of a document known as Algiers Manuscript. Uh, the details and the workings of the Cohen order. But as time went on and we started to develop it, I started to bring in other additional documents. So we revised the title and it's a, a treasury of Cohen documents. It contains a number of different pieces uh, that help illuminate the tradition. What we were trying to do is hopefully bring some clarity to this obscure order, trying to give people the primary sources. And really the whole project and most of my own personal research is about going back to the sources, giving people the chance to read for themselves what was actually written, especially with a subject like the Elo Cohen. There's so many later interpretations, so much commentary. It can be really difficult to get back to the primary sources. And just as occultists uh, tend to do, there's secrecy and mysticism uh, and a veil of the secrecy put over these primary documents. But the reality is anyone with a library card can access these details. And really, with a green book, with a treasury, what we're trying to do is show people, look at the original sources, go back to what was actually said, go back to what was actually practiced, and ask yourself honestly, is this something that you can do? Is this something that's desirable in the 21st century? Hmm, those are good questions. Um, maybe the place to begin is uh, by talking about who the Elu Cohen were, where they came from, uh, the tradition that they came out of or maybe are a part of. Um, I, I, I always associated them with Martinez de Pasquale and the, and the tradition of Martinism, but could you, could you give us any uh relevant details that would flesh this story out? Certainly. During the 18th century, French masonry is chaotic. There is a huge number of orders, there's a huge number of interpretations, and many people are finding Freemasonry uh, stilted. There isn't the spiritual grounding that they thought or were told was present. Pasquale comes along and he brings for many, even today, a true foundation to the allegories. He brings back, he brings back rather, a spirituality to the centre of the lodge, a true spiritual aim. And uh, during this period, uh, he's someone who is enigmatic. He's someone who's character, uh, full of character, and he brings to the a certain number of lodges a real uh, aim, a real spiritual pursuit. But this isn't to everyone's taste. We know during this time that uh, there's Masons who were members of Pasquale's order who were being turned away at the doors of regular lodges. So there was lodges in Bordeaux who would interrogate visitors to the lodge, and if you were found out to be a member of this obscure and occult order, you were turned away. And indeed, 
Pasquale himself asked his masons to turn their back on regular Freemasonry, that Freemasonry for him was just a shell in which he could put forward his own philosophy and his own theories, uh, and he was able to enact them through a kind of re-enchanted version of the early Scottish Rite. And for many, even today, this is a great revelation, a great achievement. You mentioned at the beginning of the introduction there that it is part of the, the Martinist tradition, and certainly it is, but it's definitely the shadow, shadowy part of the Martinist tradition. It is something, for me, that shouldn't really be accounted within the Martinist tradition. The modern movement of Martinism really doesn't have anything to do with the Cohen system. It is something that they've tried to re-engineer and put back into a wider system. Indeed, some of the greatest Cohens, some of the uh, Pasquale's greatest uh, initiates, greatest acolytes, devotees, San Martin, Louis San Martin, and Jean-Baptiste Willemoz, they left behind Pasquale's traditions. They kept the philosophy, the theology, or the theosophy rather, but felt that the practices were no longer viable, that the practices were cumbersome. And for me, the Cohen system is all about reinventing itself. Pasquale said that his system was an ancient, pristine theology, a prisca theologica, stretching right back through the millennia. Pasquale described his system as a primitive cult, the cult that was given from God to Adam and passed on down through the millennia, through the likes of Noah, Enoch, Solomon, all the way down through the, uh, the ages. And in each age, that system had to change. It had to reinvent itself to meet the culture of the time, to meet the taste of the time. And I think the Cohen system should be reinvented. I think it's part of the system. Part of the reason that we issued this book is that you could take the primary sources and reinvent it for yourself, make it relevant to the modern age, because that's what Pasquale taught. Thank you. That's pretty fascinating. So I think my next question would be, based on your work with these texts and your understanding of the history, what is your personal opinion of the system in terms of its, number one, is it accessible to you or to you know, people generally speaking, and if so, which is a big if, um, would would you have any judgments in terms of its efficacy? Well, anything's possible with the resources. Anything's possible with the discipline. However, I think it's important to realize that the, the Cohen system was not for the working man. The Cohen system was for aristocracy. It was for the bourgeoisie. Pasquale only recruited amongst wealthy men. The Cohen system is essentially a monastic system. It's withdrawn from the world. You have to be able to be wealthy enough to fund being withdrawn from the world not having a job, not having any other form of income, no family to look after. The demands of the Cohen system are harsh. Pasquale prescribed everything from diet, sleep, sex. Everything was accounted for. 
A koan would have to rise every six hours to do prayers. The calendar that's involved in the regime is incredible. And yes, maybe if you have the resources and the discipline, you could reenact that 18th century system that Pasquale put forward. However, the regime is so exclusive that I'm not entirely sure that it could fit today's society. Now, that may not be a failing because, as I mentioned, Pasquale taught that this regime, this primitive cult, was something that was passed on down through the ages and had to be reinterpreted for each age to meet the needs of each age it passed down through. The, the Cohen system is something that uh, re requires you to remove yourself from the world rather than being active in the world to try and change it. Pasquale taught that uh, through these systems you would work operations, becoming a, um, engaged with angelic beings through ceremonial magic. And the ultimate aim of this was to try and bring reintegration with the divine. That man can go back to a primitive state. Man could return to the, the pre-fall state through the enactment of this primitive cult that Pasquale passed on to his, uh, his members. But that cult is almost monastic. Part of the whole charm of esotericism, part of the whole spiritual pursuit for me is to be part of the world. For me to play a part in changing the world rather than withdrawing into some kind of hermitage, into some type of life where you are taking part in rituals that last three days. That you need to spend what would be the equivalent today of thousands of pounds on candles. This system wasn't accessible to the average 18th century man or woman. I don't think it's accessible today. But that is only the practices. For me, Pasquale's system is a true revelation. I believe in the, my uh, way of approaching this material that you have to take a middle path. Many people are interested in esotericism from an insider approach, the, the idea of an emic approach. Mm -hmm. That's the idea of studying a tradition from within it. That you are part of some grand tradition of hidden truth dating back a millennia. Indeed, that's what Pasquale and his Elo Cohen believed. Generally, though, that's not part of uh, academia, but it's not mutually exclusive. On the other hand, you have the extreme of a historical critical approach, where you're looking at it from an outsider and you reduce someone's revelation someone's uh, spirituality to factors outside their uh, control, things like politics or economics or environment. For example, I might talk about Blavatsky and the spiritualist movements in the 19th century, and rather than saying that that was some kind of a spirituality, a true revealed revelation, that it was to do with Darwinian theory, the rise of the Industrial Revolution to do with colonialism, somehow reducing this pure spirituality, this idea of someone's religious experience to economics or politics or, or something like that. And for me, we need to go into the middle. We need to work as a, someone who is a religionist, someone who's sympathetic and neutral. We talk to the people involved. We accept the things that they are saying is true. We let the text speak from themselves. The Coens did not delude themselves. They had a true belief in what they were doing. 
And it's important that we allow these texts to speak for themselves. And it's important that we read the text themselves. This is why we have published these documents to allow people to do that. The text needs to be read. If the cult is to be revived, it has to come from the font. Good point. So if you could, um, in whatever way is appropriate for, for this venue, um, would you tell us a little bit about the green book, the volume one of these, uh, these, uh, two set book of books and, um, what is it? And, um, and what was your experience in working with it? Well, the Green Book comes from the, the name of the binding. There's nowhere within the text itself where it's called the Green Book. It was originally a manuscript discovered by one of Robert Amberlane's friends. Robert, uh, Robert Amberlane was a, a Martinist uh, who helped revive the Cohen Order in the 1940s. But a friend of his in the 1950s found this manuscript in the market of Algiers and he gave it to Amberlane who generously guarded it for many years, and none of his initiates and no one involved in his revived co-order were to see these primary documents. This could be for many different reasons. I suspect it's because his revived order, as are many neo-co-orders, they are different. They are made up of separate elements, things to do with the Golden Dawn uh, for later incarnations, but generally things to do with uh, Memphis Mithram and other magical orders. They have tried to fill the gaps in their knowledge. But this Algiers manuscript takes us back to what was actually uh, happening for an initiate of the Cohen system. That initiate was a man called André Pierre de Gronville, uh, and he kept basically a notebook of instructions that he received from Pasquale, notes to do with this magical square, uh, magical circles, the candles, the special words, the hieroglyphs, the signs, everything that you would need to be able to practice this heavily regulated regime. And basically, the manuscript should be considered as something like a grimoire. Indeed, much of the Cohen Order's practices come from the grimoire tradition. And in it, we have uh, notes, we have scribbles, we have long passages for the prayers and the invocations, the evocations, uh, the magical words, the magical signs, and details uh, of the highest degree, the Ruqua. And in it, we get a real insight to what the practicalities were. It also contains letters, personal letters of instruction from Pasquale to uh, Gonville who was a Ruqua. He was one of the highest members of the order. He was also involved in the, the hierarchy of the running of the order. But it's a unique manuscript that gives us a look into the real life and real practices of an 18th century Masonic magician. It has not been published in English. There has been a transcriptions done and translations in French as most Martinist and Cohen documents are, but for the English-speaking world, we don't have much. And it was important to me that this information get out and people were able to see that it is not hidden, that it is not uh, something that's hard to uh, get a hold of. As long as you have a, uh, a library card, you are able to access this information. 
people who are profiting from telling you that you cannot access this material, that you are not worthy, that you have to join orders, you have to pay money, you have to uh, do certain things to get access to these primary texts. It's, you are worthy. You can look at this material. You can understand it. You can revive that cult for yourself. Just as Pasquale taught his koan, this stuff should be read and it should be adapted and changed to fit the culture that we're in. It cannot be replicated in the way it was in the 18th century. Me personally, I wouldn't want to replicate what Pasquale was asking his koan to do. Maybe I don't have the discipline. Maybe I am not an ascended master because of that, but I have a job, I have family to look after. I can't be holding myself up in an apartment for six months. I can't be keeping that calendar. And really, I couldn't do the regime. Now, there may be some who can, but and it might just be my doer Presbyterian Scottish background, but when you have to be wealthy, when you have to be someone without responsibility, who does not have to worry about the base of things in life in order to achieve your spirituality, that doesn't work for me. It should be something that you can do and be part of the world without being independently wealthy. For me, Pasquale's true genius is in his ideas rather than his practices. However, there's a lot to learn, and I think they can be adapted and indeed, that is part of the tradition to take those practices and change them to fit the new culture and the new world that we're in. Yeah, this is pretty interesting, actually, because um, like in terms of like comparative religion, when I, when I look at this and when I hear you talk about adapting it to more modern times and the world we live in and like. I don't know. It, it really reminds me of like the, the evolution of like Buddhism, for example, where it started out as like a very monastic tradition with sutric Buddhism, where you had mm-hmm. sort of like this renunciation was the main theme. But then it evolved, right? And then it evolved, and you had the Mahayana and the Bodhisattva, and this this understanding of emptiness. And then it evolved even further than that. Uh, so you're right. You know yeah. why? Why not? Why couldn't this? Why couldn't this evolve from a monastic sort of a retreat lifestyle practice into a more of a city style practice for someone who has a job and a family and obligations in the world? Uh, why not? Yeah, I mean, and the process you spoke about there is something that took maybe hundreds of years to happen. Even in Pasquale's time, his most trusted, uh, his most trusted members, Louis, Louis Claude de Saint Martin and Jean Baptiste Willemoz, these were people within uh, Pasquale's the circle. They were there within them, alive at the same time, and even within a few years, they were adapting what Pasquale had taught them. Claude de Saint-Martin abandoned the ritual practice but kept the theology, kept the theosophy. Willemans took it and put it into the rectified Scottish Rite into a more Masonic framework. So even the, the, the original Coens who were there at the time working with Pasquale, working up that system, changed it. 
that's part of the tradition. You take it and you adapt it to fit the world that you're in and the lifestyle that you lead. The original Cohen order has some practices in it that I could not bring myself to do. If we take, for example, the Rukwa, the highest grade of the order, this requires a person to take three days in a room. They are asked to set up three stoves in that apartment or room covered in hieroglyphics and signs. Then they have to take a male roe deer's head and with a ceremonial dagger, cut the head open, take the brains and tongues out, burn them in a stove and then place the ash on their face. Now, I don't, I can't do that. Does that make me someone who is unable to achieve spirituality? Is that something that you want to achieve in your life? Is it something that you would like to do is desecrate an animal, take its brains and tongues and burn it in, in uh, your house? Does that lead you towards God? Maybe in the 18th century, and I can imagine it would be a very powerful, visceral experience. But for me, I couldn't do that to an animal, dead or alive. I'm not entirely sure that that is a path for me to go to God. However, it's fascinating. And Pasquale's theories about the reintegration with man, uh, reintegration of man into God is where I see his genius, is in the writing, in the text. These practices may well have worked for an 18th century uh, aristocrat, but for me, for most people, I would suspect, however not all, uh, I think that uh, we need to take the ideas and change them to fit our own lifestyles. That's not to say that there'll be some who disagree with me, and they are. Uh, I'm sure there are people who are trying to recreate this, and they would say that I lack discipline, and maybe I do. But I like to see the utility in esotericism. I like to see it being used. For me, I started to study this because I was interested in how occultists and magicians and theosophers engaged with the world, not withdrew from the world. Pasquale was a man who was in exile during his age. He is living at a time that is leading up to the, the French Revolution, the great age of the Enlightenment. And Pasquale represents a counter-enlightenment. He is living in a world that cannot be reduced to the mechanics of the dictionary, Diderot's dictionary. He is seeing a world where the lodges are starting to be filled with people interested in the ideas of Rousseau or Voltaire. He isn't interested in liberty, egalitarian, fraternity. He's interested in tradition. He is interested in uh, blood inheritance. He is interested in the ancient regime. He's interested in divine right to rule. And what he is seeing within Freemasonry in France at that time is a turn away, a turn towards democracy, a turn away from the ideas that the bourgeoisie had a divine right to rule, that the king was a divine being. What he found within the colourful mythology and traditional histories of high-grade masonry is other disaffected people, people who didn't want to reconcile with the new age. They wanted to reconcile with uh, a, a, a spirit in more literal ways. They wanted to change the world rather than change them. Well, they wanted to change the world rather than change themselves by retreating into a form of monasticism. Furthermore. Catholicism is a massive part of the Cohen system. 
many people who have put together Neo Cohen orders, people who believe that they're reenacting uh, the, the Cohen ceremonies historically accurately, telling others that they are uh, the, the true lineage that they have met uh, with, with that tradition. They often ignore the, the requirement to attend Mass every day uh, without a true belief in the, the Mass and the transubstantiation you're not able to become part of the Cohen system. So when we are talking about the, the, the Cohen system in the modern day age, well, before you do any ceremonies, before you take any initiations, join any orders, if you want to do it according to the traditional way that Pasquale taught the original authentic order, you have to join the Catholic Church. For some, that won't be a problem. For others, it will. But your Catholicism has to be true and all the requirements and all the dogma that comes with Catholicism is going to be part of your new life. The Cohen system is not a Masonic order. It is taking a vow. It is sacramental. It is a complete change in your entire life as Pasquale prescribed it. But even within his lifetime, his own Initiates changed that. They started to reinvent it. They started to take the revelation that Pasquale brought to them and reinvent it and reconstruct it to meet the new age. I believe we can still do the same and that there is value in Pasquale's teachings if we take it and reconstruct it to our own age. Yeah, I think that's. Very true. Um, yeah, as I looked through the book, uh, it, it was striking how religious and, you know, designed, like you said, for this sort of retreat lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it it makes me wonder, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but, but Pasquale's concept of reintegration like in my own mind i want to believe that's something akin to gnosis but i don't know if that's really true do you have any insight into that well i think it would not be unfair to describe pasquale's order as an end of the world cult in high french masonic garb <laughs> and i don't mean that in any kind of pejorative way the reintegration the Pasquale was talking about was the destruction of this world. That this world was corrupt, it was evil, it was something that needed to be changed and back into its pure sense. It's apocalyptic. The Cohen system is about the bringing about the end of the world by retreating from the world and working magical operations to ensure that happens. And we need to engage with that and we need to appreciate that. For me, I find a lot of Gnosticism within Pasquale's system, this idea that the the earth is somehow uh, an empty shell and we have to return to the divine force uh, and reintegrate with the the divine being. And for me, I find it so pessimistic. I, I find a man, Pasquale, who is so out of step with the world that he was, he's in that he's actively working towards destroying it rather than trying to reconcile or reintegrate himself with the age, the Enlightenment. He represents an old world that is struggling to come to terms with the 
enlightenment, coming to terms with the rise of reason, coming to terms with a world that has been catalogued and put into the pages of the dictionary. For Pasquale, the world isn't like that. There's great mysteries, there's the mystery of the mass, there's the mystery of the resurrection. He will do anything to rid the world of this rationalist uh, tendency that he sees. And doing his operations is about ending this. He is labouring towards the destruction of the world and taking us back to a pristine state, back to the pre-fall man, the God-man. But Pasquale believes that we have that capability behind us. We can be God-men, as he describes it. Any man of desire has that capability. But for me, it's important to uh, appreciate that he wasn't talking about me. He was talking about people from rich families who had the money. He was talking about people who were a, had the divine right to be aristocracy. He wasn't talking about the farmer or the or a, the shopkeeper. Indeed, at that time during a French Freemasonry, obviously as a Mason, you have to be free, you can't be a slave. And for many of the French Freemasons, if you were dependent on someone else for your wage, uh, or for your living, you weren't classed as free. You had to be independently wealthy to be a free man. And that's the type of people that Pasquale thought were going to be able to change the world. The high uh, pedigree, the titled, the wealthy, they were going to work together in secret to bring about the end of this uh, horrible, uh, dirty world that he found himself within. It's fascinating. Do you want to say anything about the the gentleman you collaborated with to put this all together? A Joseph, a, or the publisher? Uh, I was thinking of Joseph, and I didn't know if uh, Steve was part of that so, effort yeah. as well. So I've worked with uh, Joseph uh, Wages and Steve Adams on this project. Uh, Joseph's been amazing you know he's such an articulate guy he's helped me edit it and put it together he has so much generosity and an abundance and enthusiasm and an eye for detail this was a very scrappy manuscript it's a difficult thing to try and put together in a presentable way and he helped me do that we worked on this together we've worked on a number of different things together and Joseph's just such an amazing uh, researcher I'm sure I think he's been on the show yeah. speaking a few times yeah, he's and, amazing. and he's working uh, yeah the stuff he's done in the Illuminati is, is incredible and I mean the Illuminati represent you know a kind of rationalist idea everything probably that <laughs> the Elecon was the, the complete opposite right. of uh, but he's, he's been very helpful to, to help uh, to get through this stuff. And really, I probably would have struggled. It was a long process to try and get the work done. It took us about three or four years to get the whole thing done. And then Steve came on board, who's just an amazing graphic designer. And he has such an interest in esotericism and occultism that really it's a, it's a pleasure to work with him. To have somebody with that technical knowledge of how to lay out a book and how to you know construct the innards of a, a project like that, but also has a, a knowledge of mysticism and a, the grimoire tradition and, and Freemasonry. 
it's just a great team to work with and we're, we're working on things and hope to have more coming out shortly yeah i mean the book looks phenomenal i mean the material obviously that we've been talking about is groundbreaking um and but it, it the way it's put together the design the fonts like it the appearance of it is just really really special like it's it's truly something that uh, is a collector's item. I think anyone who appreciates fine esoteric texts is going to be drooling over this thing. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I mean, we treat, try to treat the, the text with respect, as mentioned at the beginning. You know, I treat this as a religious tradition. And, you know, this is a holy text for some people. And the book can act for some, I would imagine, as talismanic. It is important that the text was uh, put out with care and respect because it's an important document. And for some people, uh, you know, it's, it's a real foundational document, something that they're, they're going to hold on to and consult for many years. I had qu quite a bit of flack for, for actually putting this material out. Uh, for all the reasons it's mentioned. But I could quite easily have put this out as a, a PDF or, you know, on a Facebook post or a blog or something like that. But I really wanted it to be a beautiful product. Yeah, I, I wanted it to be something bound and something important. And when we went to Hellfire, you know, uh, it was a number of years ago when, when we approached him and he had the skills to do that, to make a beautiful book that, that people liked. And while I wanted to make it available, there's still, you know, it's only 280-odd volumes. The people that are going to buy this book are the people that right. care. You know, it's not a Facebook post or something that's going to go on the internet forevermore. It's, it's for those that care and folk that are really interested in this and want to pour over the documents. And I think we've achieved that. I think we've achieved that. I would that. agree. I think it, you've treated this with the respect that Pasquale would have appreciated. And what more can you ask for than that? Thank you. You know? Yeah, certainly. Thank you. Uh, we're really proud, really proud. A long process. It's my first book, uh, and uh, I learned a lot. And hopefully, uh, the way forward, it'll not take as as uh, a wandering a path as it did, uh, and we can get more out to the public sooner. And it's higher quality is what we've done so far. Yeah, I think the first one is always a little more difficult, and then you 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 learn so much as you go, and then. It just gets easier every time. Yeah. But that's wonderful. Yeah, it's been difficult. <laughs> Thank you. So I very much appreciate your work and you taking the opportunity to speak with me and the listeners here. And the, uh, the last thing, well, two things before I let you go here tonight. Um, first is where can people find you online i think there's a couple places uh, that are crucial to mention at least yeah i have a blog uh, and the uh, social media of course i do also uh, write some articles for the pan officers website the rosicrucian tradition website where you can find some of my articles but i'm sure we could put links in the, the details of this podcast for people to uh, to, to connect with me and uh, really uh, I'll be open to any inquiries and, and enjoy uh, continuing this discussion uh, yeah thank you I'll, I'll include the links in the notes uh, with the podcast so people can find them there and 
Thank you. you. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is um, because I feel like, uh, especially with your expertise, the work you've done, and uh, the type of work that you do, generally speaking, um, would you be willing to do a Q&A follow-up to this interview after it is posted online? I'll solicit questions from the uh, members of the Chamber of Reflection website, and we can do this again briefly and, and just go through some of their questions, because I expect there's going to be a few that arise as a result of this conversation. That'd be excellent. I'd look forward to it. It'd be a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Stuart. Uh, it's really been wonderful to talk with you again. And, um, I really enjoy your work, uh, the way you approach it, your enthusiasm and passion for it. And, um, appreciate your expertise and the, your openness to discussing it. So it's, Thank you. Maybe <laughs> well, it's wonderful. I hope you have a great uh, evening, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. I appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. In the Chamber of Reflection, Stuart and I continue the interview about his work on the Elu Cohen text and his work, which integrates academic research and teaching with his intense interest in Western esotericism. Join us for that excellent second half of the conversation. And if you haven't already, please check out the recent recording on virtue and the practice of virtue. This is an exposition on virtue as the enactment of love and compassion through spiritual practice. You can listen to both of those recordings and many more at chamberofreflection.com or at our Patreon at patreon.com slash occultofpersonality. And then finally, we have a brief survey for all the members of the Chamber of Reflection that will be linked on the website and in our Facebook group. And I'd like to remind you that although you're able to listen to this podcast at no charge, it costs time and money to create. We ask you to support our efforts in the creation of future podcasts by joining the membership section at chamberofreflection.com or subscribing via Patreon at patreon.com slash occult of personality. And if you're already supporting the show or have done so in the past, my heartfelt thanks, and I salute you. Thanks for listening, and until next time. Dream.
Spoon.